Welcome to the Mighty Littles podcast. Welcome to episode two of Mighty Littles. I'm really excited today to be here with Christy Ulrich, uh, who had a baby in the NICU approximately two years ago. She is here joining us to talk about her uh, NICU experience and her NICU journey. Christy, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. So glad to be here. Why don't we just start a little bit? Why don't you tell us about yourself just a little bit? Yeah. So um, like Dr. Zimmerman said, my name is Christy, um, and I have a recent two-year-old, um, and he was born in the NICU here in Denver at Rocky Mountain, and he was born at 25 weeks. He weighed one pound, two ounces, and was 11 inches long. 11 inches long. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you have one of those dolls that shows you exactly how big he was? I do. I have a doll, and it is his length, his head circumference, and his weight. And when you put it next to him now, what do you think? It's insane. It's crazy, (laughs) right? It's totally crazy. And um, the fact that he can just, like, hold it himself is even more weird. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And he just, like, sits it next to him, and he plays with it. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And the hat on top of the doll sometimes is the craziest part, more crazy than the doll itself because of how tiny the hat is. Yeah, we have people that will crochet little bonnets and hats for Mm -hmm. our NICU babies. And um, one of the teachers at my kid's school will do it. Uh, And the first time she made them, she was like, okay, here's a couple different sizes. And she gave them to me and I was like... (laughs) Great. Those are good for all of my term babies. So now I need to, you to make them in half the size. She's like, no. Half mm-hmm. the size? I can't make half the size. I was like, yes, you can. I know you can. You can do it half the size. So she made it in half the size. And I was like, yep. So that worked really well for like my medium sized babies. Can we go a little smaller? She's like, I don't know. That I don't I can think make I understand smaller. this. Yeah, but she did. And so she donates them to the unit and it's just great. But they are. They're the tiniest. Yeah, it's hard to visualize when you're not actually yep. in the NICU around those babies. Yeah, yeah, totally. And the diaper, the diaper is probably the craziest thing when I show to someone. They cannot, they can't comprehend how tiny this diaper is that we used to fold in half. Right, because was it was too born, big. Yeah, it was too big. And you hold it up and it's like the size of a credit card, or the size of a hair tie, and people just cannot comprehend that yeah so that's fun but those are good references right the size of a hair tie the size of a credit card those are the size of the diapers that we're using yep like when you're on air and you're listening to a podcast to give people reference ranges yeah that is a really good visual the size of a credit card yep i always say pull out a credit card and that was his diaper and we folded it in half yeah and it went past his belly button yeah exactly (laughs) exactly so tell us a little bit about your um pregnancy and how that went and did you know you were going to end up in the NICU or or not tell us about your pregnancy yeah so my pregnancy was relatively normal um up till about week 18 um so I am a runner and we found out we were having a boy and everything was fine I was 18 weeks pregnant we lived in a large apartment complex and I was like I'm just gonna go for a run at the gym totally normal. I think it was raining out, so I didn't want to go outside. And um, my husband was like, oh, sure, I'll come with you because they have multiple treadmills. So we walked down to the gym, got on the treadmill. He was on the treadmill next to me. There's maybe a few other people in the gym with us. And I think I got to mile like one and a half, maybe. (laughs) And um, I was like, gosh, I'm just really tired. I'm out of breath. Um, And, you know, just kind of stepped my feet to the side of the treadmill, went to get water, 
And my husband next to me like looks over at me and my face was resting on the front panel of the treadmill. And um, I don't remember this, obviously, because I was passed out unconscious and he was making a joke at me like, come on, you can't even run a mile and a half now. And, and he, uh, didn't, he didn't realize he you'd didn't actually realize. Out. And then I started falling and the treadmill's still going. I'm falling. He's trying to catch me. Um, luckily, he did catch me and I left with very minor rug burn on my knee from the fall down. Um, but that was kind of the turning point of like, okay, what's something's off because you can run a mile and a half and be fine. Um, and so that next week we went into um, our 19, 20 week um, ultrasound. And the doctor, you know, everything seemed normal, um, but they had mentioned that my cord insertion um, was abnormal. And instead of going straight from myself to um, William, it was wrapping around. And so um, it's called a, I'm going to forget the cord insertion name. Is it Villamentis? Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. So um, I started with that and I left the appointment. We were like, oh my gosh, thinking this was like the end of the world. Um, so, of course, my husband goes straight to Google. I'm straight to like, oh, my gosh, what does this mean? Um, and I was like, okay, well, we might have to have a C-section. And that was kind of like, okay, well, that's okay. We can do this. We might have to have a C-section, but that's okay. We, You know, everything will be fine. And so they wanted to just track me more through the pregnancy after that. So we went in at 21, 22 weeks. Um, we, were, we were seeing high risk at this point. Um, and... At 21 weeks, um, they realized that William hadn't grown since 20 weeks, and so he was still small. So that was when we were diagnosed with um, IUGR, intrauterine growth restriction. Um, And we were like, okay, you know, we got this. Um, And... Fine. So You're um, great. You're doing great. So they were like, okay... We're just going to watch you more. Sorry, people listening. (laughs) I think it's really hard to go back to those moments where you feel like your life has just been turned upside down and the rug is ripped out from underneath you. And, you know, I think in the United States, pregnancies go really, really well for the majority of people. And we have an expectation that we're going to get pregnant and we're going to deliver our baby and we're going to take our baby home with us. And you had all of those expectations and totally this yeah. story totally highlights how everything is going just fine right up until it doesn't and you do feel like the floor just got yeah. ripped out from underneath you and Absolutely. it's hard to go back and talk about those things so i really appreciate you <laughs> yes. telling us your story no, no 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 we're good um and so at 21 weeks um he was not growing they wanted to follow up um so we were doing two week visits at the high risk ob um and at 20 Three weeks, um, I was diagnosed with uh, AEDF, with it, which is absent ended diastolic, diastolic flow. Yep, absent end diastolic flow. Yes. Um, and so basically, um, Dr. Zimmerman can probably give a better uh, medical definition, but basically my blood flow to William um, was pumping in, but I was pumping out more than that the blood I was giving him. And so basically at some point um, that goes to a reversed flow where – my blood is going to William, but I'm actually pulling out more than I'm giving him. And so that's a great description. Kind of, you know, I'm giving him blood, I'm giving him blood. And at some point I'm taking the blood. Um, And so 
we were monitored for that. Um, so we were kind of waiting to see if it reverses. Um, that's obviously a issue um, and requires a delivery. Um, but there's no real signs of when it reverses. So that was kind of the um, discussion point for us is um, at 22 weeks, do you admit yourself for being monitored for it to reverse because they can only monitor it in the hospital? Um, or do we go home and start an experimental drug? So we sat with the um, high OB doctor for, gosh, probably cleared her whole afternoon schedule so she could sit with us. Um, and we literally sat in her room. We turned off all the lights. We talked about all the numbers um, and just the chance of um, survival at 22 weeks and what that looks like. And so um, my husband and I decided... Um, that we would go home, we'd think about it, we'd come back next week, um, we'd do another follow-up just to see if anything had changed, and of course, if anything had changed in that week, we would go in. Um, and so at 23 and a half weeks, um, we went in and we decided to start the experimental drug, um, and the experimental drug was sildenafil, which most people uh, would know as Viagra, and so I, for 10 days, um, took Viagra three times a day. Um, lucky you lucky me does not have the same side effects for women did you know that um sildenafil was actually originally developed to be a blood pressure medication yes and uh it was to help in, blood flow to help blood flow which yep. is why they are trying to use it in pregnancies when we yep. have bad placental blood flow so <clears throat> that was what the original intention of sildenafil was and then yeah. as they were doing these experiments on blood it's pressure they found that men had this side effect and then ultimately <laughs> that was men. the way to market the medicine they they kind of yeah. went away from doing the blood pressure med and and marketed it for what we know as the little blue pill now yes um but that's that's why it can be beneficial with pregnancy right. with trouble with blood flow because it was originally designed and experimentally, exactly. you know, that's what they were looking for was to use it for blood pressure. Which is crazy. So I did it. Um, I took it three times a day um, and we were just trying to keep that blood flow to William to just keep giving him the nutrients and keep, keep him growing. Um, and then um, that next Friday, I had the worst chest pain I've probably ever had in my life. Um, and I am extremely stubborn. And I was like, it's just because I'm anxious. I'm just nervous. I, it's fine. Um, I called my nurse line and he said, heartburn is a very common side effect of pregnancy. And I was like, okay, I know heartburn. It's not heartburn, but okay. Um, and I stood in the kitchen and I was like healing over crying. And so my husband's like, well, why don't you call the high risk nurse line and see what they say and if they have a different opinion? So I did. Um, I got this very nice woman who I've actually talked to multiple times since William was born, which is kind of funny. Um, but she said, you know, it's 10 o'clock at night. It's a Friday. Go to the nearest Walgreens. Um, buy a blood pressure cuff. And if your blood pressure number readings are 160 or higher and 110 or higher, go to the ER. I'm like, okay. So um, we go to Walgreens. We get the blood pressure cuff. We go home. We strap it on my arm and we take my blood pressure reading and I think that night Saturday night it was like 175 over 115 and I looked at Chris and I'm like it's fine I'm just I'm just anxious I'm nervous this is crazy um you know my stubbornness kicked in and so he's like okay I'm gonna we'll take it in like an hour sit on the couch relax I'm like okay so take it again it's about the same maybe a little higher and I was like I'm just gonna go to bed I'm 
tired. I'm anxious. It's fine. It's fine. And so we went to bed. I recommend that on no one. If your blood pressure is high, just go to the hospital. Um, that gives me <clears throat> palpitations yes. right now hearing you say that your blood pressure was <laughs> 170s over yes. 110 mm-hmm. and you decided to go to, go bed. to bed. Yeah, I get so, it. A little bit of denial, a little just, bit of justification. Yes, yeah. I was 100% in denial. So I did go to bed. Um, I got up at, you know, the normal time when the dog had to go out. I don't think I even rolled over before Chris had the blood pressure cuff on my arm, taking my blood pressure. Good job. And uh, yes, props to him. Um, and the reading was not great. Um, I had gone up overnight. So I was now in the 180s over 120s. Um, and Chris said, get out of bed. We're going to the hospital. And my response was, well, let's take the dog out and go get coffee first. And that did not go in my favor. Um, I was in the car at the hospital um, that Sunday morning by about, I don't know, 8.30. Um, and I remember, because it's a Sunday morning, so you have to go in through the ER. And as a pregnant woman walking into the ER and you tell them that you have chest pain, uh, it's taken very seriously. And so they put me in a wheelchair to go to the mom and baby ward. And I remember looking at them like, I don't need a wheelchair. This is silly. Just let me walk there. Um, And not an option. So I was put in a wheelchair, brought to mom and baby. And um, probably my glowing moment of my pregnancy was when they gave me the gown and told me to change. And so I was like, okay, here we are. I put the really lovely pink gown on (laughs) in the bathroom I walked out and I got on the bed and I still had my tennis shoes on. And the nurse looked at me like, what are you doing? You can take your shoes off, get comfortable. And I was like, no, it's fine. Like, just we're not going to be here that long. And it's just more work to take them off when I'm going to put them right back on again. And the look on her face, like, just was so priceless. And she's like, you can take them off. You're going to be here a while. A while. Yeah. And uh, it's like funny looking back at that. Like, where did I think I was going? Like, I was I was going nowhere for a very long time, but, you know, my denial and stubbornness was like, just leave your shoes on. You're going to go home. They're going to take your blood pressure. They'll give you something and you're out of here. Yeah. Uh, Not the case. (laughs) So um, that was um, Sunday, March 4th, that morning. Um, They took my blood pressure and it was still going up. Um, So I had at one point reached the 200s over 130s. And so... I got to be put on the lovely magnesium drip. Um, and if any moms listening have been on that, they know exactly how brutal it is. Um, it's terrible. It's terrible. Um, but it works. Um, you know, there's a reason they put us on it. So I started the magnesium drip um, that morning. And we had a monitor on for William's heartbeat um, for just monitoring if we were going to um, – call a delivery or not um so they had the director of the NICU um come and visit me because if William was born that's where I was going to be so they wanted to introduce themselves so I met the NICU um they had the anesthesiologist come in they kind of had us all ready um and we had talked with the doctor we wanted to make it a few days you know we're on the magnesium my blood pressure is under control we're just monitoring William now and waiting you know hoping that the reverse flow doesn't happen um it started to decline a little bit um we weren't as steady with William's heartbeat staying 
Um, and so then the conversation turned to, we're going to try to make it, you know, till tomorrow. So we're like, okay, um, we got this till tomorrow. Um, and so that slowly turned into like the doctors sitting at the end of my bed, (laughs) you know, let's just make it a few hours. And I'm like, okay. And, uh, that quickly turned into, okay, let's go. And we went, Mm -hmm. um, we were up out of my mom and baby. And I remember it was like a scene from Grey's Anatomy, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I was like in this wheel, like not wheelchair, but the The bed. bed. Mm -hmm. The wheels are up. There's a doctor on each side. I'm the anesthesiologist. We're running um, down the hall to the OR. We're in the OR. Chris is like shut out at the doors, not allowed in, standing in his scrubs. Poor guy. Um, And the anesthesiologist was like mask over my mouth. And that was that was it. So William was born nine minutes after they made the call in uh, the mom and baby room when we lost his heartbeat from um, what was reverse uh, ended flow. So luckily we were there. Luckily, my stubbornness didn't get the best of me. And we were in the uh, hospital to monitor for that reverse flow to happen. Yeah. Well, and it's it's hard to predict when it's going to happen. And so a lot of times they'll recommend that you come in for inpatient monitoring yep. and it's not that uncommon where oh yeah we're going to try to make it a couple weeks oh no we're going to yep. try to make it a couple days yeah actually we're going to go now yeah you really hope <laughs> like you start you're like days okay yeah 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 and it's so crazy how fast things can change but at the same time things changed at you know week 18 and we made it to week 25 so right yeah you got past that really critical yes. 22 to 20? 23 weeks yes. where it's a scary couple of weeks we were like okay is it are we going to make it to that like you know we all have a date in our mind so chris and i started with 28 weeks which 28 weeks is extremely premature but in our minds we were like if we can make it to 28 weeks that's fantastic yeah and so in our mind we're like 28 weeks 28 weeks and so when we got to 25 we're like Okay, 25, it's close, but it's not quite 28, but, you know, it's but not we're 24, close. it's not 23. We made it past these other ones that every week it was like, okay, we made it past 22. Okay, we made it past 23. We made it past 24. Right. How far can we go without, you know, we we just didn't know. It's just crazy, but we all kind of have a date of what yeah, we're you trying have your to goal. make it to. Right, yeah. your goal of what you're trying to make it to. And then and then you'll make a new goal. You know, if you make it, if you make it to your goal, you make a new one. Yeah. Um, I know during but, my pregnancies, um, I always had, I always knew what the next goal was, right? So, oh, I have the positive pregnancy test. Well, now yep. I need to get to the first ultrasound with the heartbeat. Okay. Well, now I need to get to 12 weeks um, because that's when you can tell people. do testing yeah. and tell people <laughs> yeah. and you're through that first trimester. Okay. Now I need to get to 20 weeks because that's where we can <clears throat> make sure everything is okay. okay and yep. I think most people go in for that 20-week ultrasound thinking, oh, I want to know if it's a boy or a girl. And mm-hmm. I, I like, went I want to know what they're growing. <laughs> yeah, I went into the 20-week ultrasound saying, oh, check the heart, make sure the bell is in the stomach, yeah. <laughs> you know, make sure everything is yeah, there the that's supposed to be. Yeah. Oh, yeah, what did you say it was, a boy or girl? Like, it was kind of the yeah. afterthought. And then, okay, let's get to 24 weeks. Yeah. And then, well, 27 is the next one. And, oh, now we're at 30 weeks. And, oh, 32 yeah. weeks. Now we don't have to check for... Uh, bleeding in the brain or eye yeah. maturity because we've passed that 32 week mark, right? And then yep. you just kind of check each one off as yeah. you move your, along. Yeah, your perspective of your dream pregnancy uh, definitely changes when it's already been completely thrown off the normal pregnancy 
you know, timeline that you had in your mind. Right. Um, you know, when it's derailed at 18 weeks, you're like, okay, this is what it is. I'm not thinking about, you know, the normal 20 week things, or I'm not thinking about chugging the sugary drink that the I sugary never drink. had to chug. <laughs> oh, lucky you. <laughs> lucky me. Yes. So, uh, yeah, you definitely have a different perspective on what a pregnancy, what you thought your pregnancy would look like for right. sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, you kind of knew it was coming. Yes. Um, at 18 weeks, <clears throat> things started going sideways and yep. then you got admitted. And you, so you knew you were going to be in the NICU and then you had this crash C-section to get him out and get him over to the NICU. Yep. That's a good, tr- you know, transition into tell me about your NICU stay. Why don't we start with the first time you made it over to the NICU to meet William yeah. and then talk about what what that NICU stay looked like to you. Um, <clears throat> so our NICU stay was 148 days long. Um, that was a so long NICU stay. It was a journey. I will say that. Um, but it, it has it up, it has its ups and downs. Um, and I think, um, I don't, I think it was Dr. Randolph that told me, um, it's a roller coaster ride. Every day is different, but it's not just every day. It can be the, within the day having ups and downs. So the morning can be really great. And then something can happen in the afternoon and you're down at the bottom of the roller coaster. But remember that the roller coaster keeps going up and down. So there's going to be an up, there's going to be a down. Um, and that was so true. Um, so that was, and he told us that at the very beginning. We're like, okay, I don't really know what that means yet. But mm-hmm. if you're telling me that, I feel like I should remember that in the back of my head um, for, you know, the next five months that I'm going to be here. Um, and I'm glad I did because you have something really, really great. You have a really good day. They're gaining weight. Their number is up on the board when you walk in. Um, and then the next day something comes totally out of (laughs) the sky and it's like, where did that come from? What just happened? And you're down at the bottom of the roller coaster. Um, so that was, that was great to hear at the beginning of the journey, um, but specifically the first time I met William, um, he was 27 hours old. Um, so because of the magnesium drip, um, I was in the mom and baby for at least 24 hours for monitoring. Um, and then because my blood pressure was extremely high, um, they had to do some extra monitoring. So Monday night, um, they allowed me to go over there. So I remember I like buttoned up my pink gown. I got in the wheelchair um, and my mom actually was in town. So she rolled me over um, to the NICU and. You're doing great. So um, I just remember being wheeled in. Um, Our nurse was Kelly. Uh, I still remember that. And um, I just remember, sorry, I just remember um, walking into the room, lifting the the blanket that they Mm -hmm. put over the isolate um, because, you know, his eyes are still fused shut and the brightness is really hard. Um, So lifting the blanket and if if you're a Nikki mom, you know, there's the two plastic holes in the side. Um, And... I was able to reach in. Sorry. <clears throat> so they let me reach in and touch him. And uh, he, with the t- 
tiniest fingers I've ever seen in my whole life uh, just wrapped around my finger. And this picture, like, it's probably hands down one of my favorites, but um, just having him, his eyes too shut, wearing his goggles, the Billy Rubin lights were on, um, you know, all the beeps and oxygen and the sounds in there kind of drown out like it was completely silent. Um, and just like the tiniest finger wrapped around my finger, well, tiniest hand wrapped around the tip of my finger. And it was like, holy crap, this is amazing. Um, and it was kind of like my mom would always say it was him being like, we've got this. Like, this is it. So um, that was the first time I met him. That's that was pretty cool. And, and that's an awesome picture that you have of yeah. him holding your hand. Um, totally. When, when you reached in and touched him, were you afraid of him or, or not? Because we um, hear some parents yes. say that they're afraid of their babies. So that moment, I wasn't. Um, and I think it was because I was like out of body experience because I'm like, holy crap, you know, 27 hours ago, it was like, are we going to make this? Are we even going to survive this? And then, you know, holy crap, he's here and he's alive. Um, so in that moment, I wasn't. But I will say, like, the next few weeks, um, when we got to do CARES or we got to take his temperature, my husband and I were totally freaked out. Um, and when the doctors say or the nurses say, well, just hold your hand on his arm. Don't rub his arm or don't, um, you know, because you kind of want to like caress them like they're a baby. Right. Yeah. And um, those, they do better with, we always say they do better with just solid touch as yeah. opposed to stroking Rubbing touch or, because of yeah. their immature um, nervous system. Yep. Yeah. So go ahead. Yeah. So, I mean, when they said that to us, we're like, oh my gosh. And my husband would be like, is, am I going to rip his skin off? <laughs> you know, it was like, we were totally, because we just, we had no idea what we were, what we were getting into. So, um, yeah, I totally get that parent freak out of like, they're so fragile and all you want to do is hold them. But at the same time, you're so scared of doing harm that you don't want to hold them or you don't want to touch them. But that's really all you want to do. So it's like, yeah, yeah it's this totally, internal conflict of all you want totally to scary. do. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, absolutely. It's so what got you over that hump? Because I mean, yeah. you guys were really present in the NICU and you did cares yeah. all the time. And so what kind of got you from that initial? Wow, break I don't want to touch him. Am <laughs> I'm I? Break him. Yeah, am I going to break him? I don't I don't want to do anything. But I all I want to do is hold him. But I don't want to hold yeah. him. How how did you get across that hump to where you started to feel more comfortable? doing all of those parenting things that you can do in the NICU. Yeah. So <clears throat> the nurses that we had were unbelievable. Um, absolutely. Probably give all credit to them. Um, and we were um, very present in the NICU. Um, we basically could never leave. Um, and so I think what got us over that hump is – doing little pieces at a time. So during CARES, there were so many tasks that you did. So um, taking their temperature, changing the probe on their foot, um, changing their diaper, cleaning their eyes, all of that stuff. And so um, we kind of took turns on, okay, you take his temperature, I'll wipe his eyes, and then we'll have the nurse do the rest because 
changing the diaper means you have to pick up their legs and picking up their legs means you're moving their back. And so maybe if we do the things where we don't actually have to move him, then she can do the rest. So we kind of started with that. So um, we would clean his eyes. We would move the probe and take his temperature. And then we'd let the nurses do the diaper because that was terrifying with all the leads and wires and just having to flip him. Um, and so, and then my husband would always weigh the diapers, of course. I don't know why. that He's like a numbers guy. So he was like, oh, I get to see the number on the scale. Um, so he always did that part. And then we kind of slowly, as William got bigger, um, you know, having the nurse show us where to hold him to flip him from his side to his back um, so that we could then turn him and change his diaper ourselves. But it definitely took a long time before we were doing full sets of cares um, and, you know, changing the diaper and doing the whole thing instead of just sticking the tiny thermometer under his tiny, tiny armpit um, and getting a reading. Um, but yeah, I definitely think it's the nurses letting us do little pieces and then, then having them jump in. And then when we were doing it, having them walk us through the entire thing. Right. And just slowly um, adding on yeah. what you were doing over time. Exactly. So it didn't feel yeah. quite as scary. Yes. It was still scary, but yes. <laughs> do you remember the first time you held him? I do. So I held him um, 27 days after he was born. Um, That's a long time to yes, wait. It was a long time. And I remember, um, so we had a dog at home. And so I would stay at the NICU all day and my husband would go home in the middle of the afternoon, take the dog for a walk and then come back. Um, and my mom was with me in the NICU. So um, I just remember he went to take the dog out and the nurse said, oh, do you want to hold him? And I was like, oh my gosh, Chris isn't here. The first time I hold him, Chris isn't here. He's going to be so mad. And I was like, yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I could not. I had to do it. So um, I did hold him and it's every bit as terrifying as changing the first diaper because it takes a whole team for you to hold your child. So it takes a nurse, it takes a respiratory therapist to come in and move all the oxygen equipment. Um, it's, you know, situating the chair so all of the cords will reach, um, just making sure that he'll be comfortable, making sure his numbers stay right. So it's not like it's the most glorious moment ever, but it's like a moment of complete fear because um, you're sitting there like you're watching the monitors, you're making sure his numbers are right. You hear a beep and you totally freak out because you hear a beep. Um, but it was like it was amazing. And then the fact that, um, you know, they're like, OK, because it's causing a lot of movement to get him into your arms, you're going to have to hold him for like an hour or two. It's like, okay. You're like, deal. great. Let Please. me just go to the bathroom <laughs> first. Yeah. So, um, it was, it was so cool and he was so tiny. And so it was, it was just surreal. Cause they're like, okay, we're just going to put him in the bra of your cami. And I was like, really? Like he's going to fit there. Are you sure? And he had plenty of room and it was, yeah, it's, it's really surreal. Um, but it's definitely, a different hold than when you get your first hold cord wire free. Yeah. Um, and that was probably just as cool. Like, oh my gosh, I can walk around this room with him and I'm not going to have anything with me. <laughs> yeah. You have a wireless baby now. Yeah, You're not connected exactly. to anything. Yeah. So 
But yeah, that first hold was was awesome. And I think my husband would agree the first time he held them, he was like, this is the coolest thing ever. But I couldn't stop staring at the screen. I couldn't stop looking at his numbers. But he's and a numbers man, right? We already know that. Man. He's a numbers yeah. man. <laughs> exactly. But I think you're like, holy crap, this is the coolest, most magical moment of my life. But don't you dare turn that screen of numbers because <laughs> I can't, you know. Yeah, I it's my security blanket right yes. now. Yeah. So but yes, that was um, probably one of the best moments in the Nikki was finally, you know, getting him out of there and holding him for two hours straight was, yeah, yeah. pretty memorable for sure. So looking back on your Nikki stay, mm-hmm. what would you say was the single best moment in the NICU? So this is interesting. I was talking to my husband about this last night because I was like, oh, hands down, best moment was going home, you know, because you get to go home. And yeah. Not everyone gets to, and you've thought about that moment since basically the time you got there. Um, and then we started talking, we're like, oh, but you know, the best moment was probably when he came off the oscillator. So um, we're like, that was probably the best day. Yeah, that was the best day because we felt like we were no longer on the last resort of oxygen. So we were like, okay, we've made progress. We're not at the last resort anymore. We're off the oscillator. So we like, that was the best day. And then, you know, you go a few more weeks and you try the first bottle and you're like, that was the best day ever because everyone always says that eating is the hardest and William slammed his first bottle. So we're like, that was the best day ever, you know? And so every best day kind of got trumped. And then we moved from the, um, level four NICU to the grad nursery and we're like this is the best day ever like wheeling all of his stuff down the hall to the grad nursery like that's the best day ever um you know and then we got our first discharge date and your first discharge date yes that 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 in and of itself (laughs) says something about how that discharge process went yeah so then we get like our first discharge date and we're like this is the best day ever so like there's so many best days because in the moment, it truly is the best day. And then something else happens and you're like, I don't know. I don't know what the best day is. But um, And we had a lot of those moments where we, we'd hit a new milestone and it's it feels just so amazing. Um, but going home, um, that was that was a pretty, pretty good day. That was a pretty say. good day. That was a pretty good day. Well, let's talk about your going home day. We'll just kind of jump into yeah. it since you're talking about it. What did yeah. it... What did it feel like to go home? Yeah. Well, you were there. I know. I know. <laughs> you were our discharge doctor yeah. <laughs> that day. Um, yeah. So we had three discharge dates, um, three times that we attempted to go home and kind of got set back. Um, and so the first time we got our discharge date, I think we just were so excited to go home that we didn't even really realize that it could be taken away so easily. Right. Um, and so... We had our discharge day. We told our friends. We told our family. And then I think we were three days into the five-day no events uh, timeline. And we were like, okay, we're going to go out to dinner tonight because soon we're going to have William at home and we're not going anywhere. So let's go out to dinner. So we did. And we got a phone call during dinner about William having an episode. Um and his oxygen dropping, and they had to put the mask on him, and this counts as an episode to take away our discharge. And we're like, okay. Um, 
well, we thought we were going home. Like, what do you mean we're not going home? So that was our first discharge mishap. Um, and it, it, it was, it sucked. <laughs> it's brutal. It's brutal because yeah. you're so, and it was like day 125 or something. And we were like, we just want to go home. And, um, and it felt like we were so ready. Like we felt so stable. We were doing all his cares. He was eating. Um, you know, it just felt like we can go home. And, um, the second discharge, um, kind of went the same as the first, um, we told like our family, we didn't really tell any friends, but we told our family like, yeah, I think we're going to go home next week. We're on our five day countdown. And I think we only made it to like day one or two on the second discharge. Um, and the second discharge got, uh, thrown out because of the decision to give William a VP shunt. So at the time, William had a VAD, um, which we were using to drain, uh, cerebral cerebral spinal fluid csf yep yep um and so because of um william's grade three ivh um at the beginning of his NICU stay um we had developed hydrocephalus additional fluid on the brain and so we were um, kind of monitoring that and draining it and we had made it three weeks without um draining any fluid so we kind of thought like yeah, we don't clear. need anything like we're just he's growing and it's starting to slowly drain and we don't need a shunt. And this is fantastic because um, we knew nothing about what a shunt was. We didn't know what it meant long term. We didn't know what the surgery meant. So um, IVH, for those that don't know, is intra- intraventricular hemorrhage. Um, so kind of common terms of uh, brain bleed. Um, so William had his on day seven slash eight of life. So kind of a odd slash rarity to happen maybe dr zimmerman can talk more about that but i think most of them happen between days like one and three yeah so the majority of the significant bleeds that we see are in those first three days of life and then if we have an early scan so a day one to three scan um head ultrasound that looks clean and babies are doing okay then the day seven is you know sometimes people do it at day seven sometimes day 10 sometimes day 14 it's just to kind of make sure that over that first week it didn't happen. There's there's different criteria for when you do those head ultrasounds. And so yep. in the really small babies, we tend to do an early one and a late one yep. versus in some of the older babies, we just do a late head ultrasound. So it wouldn't be unusual to necessarily see the first bleed um, on your day seven ultrasound. But if you have an initial normal and then the day seven, it is a little bit more unusual to see yeah. a grade three bleed on that day. Um, yeah. so, so yeah. And that was William. He's, he follows his own he rules, follows his own rules and still does. Um, so yeah. So on our second discharge, um, we had done another, um, brain scan with, um, his neuro, um, surgeon that just wanted to check on, um, kind of where his ventricles were, if they were going down at all. Um, just because we, we hadn't drained any fluid in so long. Um, and I remember she, we had the corner room, so it was kind of like, you know, the luxury suite. The penthouse. The penthouse. The penthouse of the NICU. <laughs> um, and she was so funny. She came in and she sat in the rocking chair and she held William. And here we're like, we may be going home. You know, like we're on like, you know. Yeah. In our own here. world. Yeah. Of excitement. And she's like sitting in the, <laughs> sitting in the rocking chair holding William and just goes, I think we're going to have to do a shunt. And I'm like, 
Like, you're kidding me. What? I thought we were going home. And I just remember um, the neonatologist who, poor guy, had to literally tell us the worst news every single time there was bad news. He told us the first discharge date was gone. (laughs) He called us during our date night. Um, And he walked in the corner suite, looked at the neurosurgeon sitting in the chair holding William and just went, no, mm -mm, no. And she goes, (laughs) we're going to have to do a shunt. And he just walked out and he's like, I can't tell these parents that they can't go home. That they can't go go home again. Yeah. And um, it was just so funny because he's like, oh my gosh. He had to tell us about um, the grade three brain bleed. He had to tell us we weren't going home. The first time and the second time. Um, so poor guy, you know, he's like, really? Like, we're doing this? We're deciding this right now? Um, and we did. And we uh, totally appreciate his neurosurgeon. And we felt super comfortable um, with her making that call. Um, and, you know, we talked through the benefits. We talked through the risks. And it was an easy, hard decision uh, right. just because it's a lifelong uh accessory <laughs> that William has. Um, but it just felt like, you know, we, we need to do this. Um, his ventricles weren't getting smaller. Um, and it, it just felt right. So that was a, a Friday. So we scheduled surgery for Monday. Um, so we kind of got the weekend of like, all right, we're not going home. We're here. We kind of have a plan. So, um, you know, we, we don't have a discharge date yet, but we're, we're getting there. So William got surgery on Monday, um, for the shunt. They put the shunt in and, um, removed the VAD, which was the, um, the reservoir at the front of his skull that we were using to drain the fluid. And so she took that out. So VAD stands for ventricular access device, which essentially just means that when that fluid builds up, you don't always want to put a shunt in right away either because there's too much blood or the babies are too small or we don't want to commit them to having it long term yeah. if they don't need it. So we just put in this little ventricular access device of ad and we can, it seems barbaric, but we just put a little <laughs> needle in and draw a little bit of spinal fluid out. It keeps the pressure off the brain. Yeah. And then we see if over time <laughs> they can start to move that fluid better to try to avoid the VP shunt. So yeah. if they can't, then we just take that bad out and switch it over to a VP shunt before they go home. Yeah, so, and that's exactly what we did. Um, so he had the VP shunt surgery on Monday. Um, we followed him in the level four NICU post-surgery. And I feel like I get a lot of questions from other NICU moms about the shunt um, and if we we're glad we did it and if we noticed a difference. Um, and I just, I mean, I maybe wasn't a huge difference, but it felt like a huge difference. He just felt more comfortable. He was eating more. I mean, just the day after that. So I, we felt it was the right decision for us um, and for him for sure. So um, do you feel like part of that, that feeling like a good decision was, um, I'll just, I mean, to me, if you have the VAD and the fluids, okay, but not perfect. And we have to watch it really close and, uh, you put the VP shunt in and it's almost like, okay, now we can just relax. There's, and yeah. like there's this relief that it's being... There's something that's being done and you don't have to worry about yeah, it. Yeah, you don't have to worry yeah. quite so much. Yeah. And with the VAD, I mean, he got the VAD when he was uh, less than a month old. So that in itself was kind of scary because his weight did not qualify for him him for surgery. Um, You know, he was only 800 grams, which 
Can you tell me that in pounds? Because I don't know anymore. It's like less than two pounds. Just under two pounds. So it's he, 454 grams per pound. Yeah. So there you go. Um, so we were only 800 grams. Neurosurgery wanted him at 1,000, but we were not getting there anytime soon. And his head was growing um, was growing really fast. Um, so we got the VAD very early. But when we got the shunt, it was kind of like, okay, we didn't feel like we were always worrying about his head growth, you know, because that was kind of the way we monitored it was feeling the top of his head for, um, you know, yeah, is it soft spot? Stuff. Yeah, is, <laughs> is it soft spot bulging? We used to say, is it full? Um, and if it was full, then we have to drain some. Um, so we didn't have to think about that. We didn't have to think about the ventricles, you know, continually expanding and his head growing faster than it should. So yeah, it was kind of like a relief of like, okay, he has something now that's going to manage this flow, and so we don't have to. It's one less thing to worry about. Right. Um. So yeah, I think that definitely helped in the decision making of, you know. And I think we didn't understand what a shunt was, um, and and many people probably don't. Um, and so you kind of think like, oh my gosh, he has this giant machine on the back of his head. Like that's kind of what we pictured. And it's it's not that at all. I mean, it's very small. Most people probably would never even know he has it. Um, and the other thing that we were like, okay, well now he can't play sports or he can't do this. And it was kind of like a joke, like, uh, yeah, he can play football. He can play whatever sports he wants to. This has no impact on that. Right. Um, and so I think we just, we had this vision in our mind of what a shunt was and what it meant for him. And I think once we got over that and that we were totally wrong in what we thought a shunt was, um, it made that decision a little easier a too. A little bit easier. Yeah. So he got the shunt on Monday. And we got a discharge date. We got our countdown. Um, and so it was July 20th of uh 2018 so um we were still in level four we didn't we had switched rooms nine times oh wow (laughs) so we had nine different rooms um and so we got to stay in our recovery uh nikki room till discharge um and i think the coolest thing was that we had dr zimmerman as our doctor and we had our primary nurse as our nurse that day so um we had like everyone that we wanted to be there um there we told no friends and we told no family because <laughs> we were like we are not jinxing this um we're telling, <laughs> we don't want to have to tell them again that yes. we can't go home so we're just gonna not tell them so we told no one um that we were going home and um it was crazy because it was like moving out of an apartment like we had <laughs> so much stuff in our NICU room i mean so much stuff. And so it was like packing up our bags to move out. You know, it wasn't like we were just taking William home. It was like we were moving out of the NICU. But you'd been there for 140. Yeah. Nine? 148. 148. Like we lived there. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think we had to do a few trips to the car <laughs> for sure with all of our stuff. And um, we got all our equipment set up. So we went home on oxygen. So we had all of our oxygen tanks charged. We had our car seat ready. We passed the car seat test. Um, and I just, it was kind of like, okay, so when do we get to go home? Like you show, you know, you show up at 7 a.m. and you're like, okay, so do we get to leave at 7.30? Do we leave at 4? Do we leave during lunch? So it's kind of like this waiting game of like, when do we actually get to just walk out those doors? Yeah, is she actually going to write gonna the write discharge the order? Papers? 
Um, and thank you, because he did. Yep. <laughs> um, and then it was just like, okay, like, grab the oxygen tank, grab the car seat, and just walk out the door. Like, it was just, it was very, it felt like we were breaking out. Like, it felt like we, sh- we were, like, stealing him. Um, but yeah, that was... That was uh, probably one of the best days on top of all the best days that happened before it. Um, But it was definitely kind of, it felt like we were like breaking out or it just felt so strange because for 148 days, we had left the hospital doors, just us. So to leave with him, who had never seen the outside world, he had never seen the blue skies of Colorado for him to like be out there, it was just so crazy. And um, we got in the car and I remember just taking a picture, like scanning a little video, scanning the car to the car seat to William being in it and then sending it to family. And that was our way of like, we are out. Yeah. We are in the world and we're going home. And sorry, we didn't tell you, (laughs) (laughs) you know, because we just, we were like so afraid to jinx it. And I remember my mom. Did people get what the little video was? Were they confused? I think they were like, is it a doll? Is it <laughs> no. But like, you know, they were like, this, are you like practicing? Are you actually going home? Is this the car seat test? Um, but my mom was texting me early because she was texting me every morning asking how William was. And I always would like send her a picture of the board or I'd, you know, mm-hmm. send her a picture or send her something. And that morning I didn't respond because... I was probably crying at the front desk with some nurse or who knows what. So I hadn't responded. And for some reason, instead of her thinking like something must be wrong, she's like, oh, I think they're probably going home. Like somehow she had this feeling like she knew, um, which was funny because I'm like, I feel like we are never going home. So I don't know how you felt that. But like, it's just it was funny how some people reacted like, why didn't you tell us? And then like, oh, I had a feeling you were going home because you didn't respond to my text. But um yeah it took us three discharge dates and brain surgery so yeah. but we did it yeah 148 did. days 148 days <laughs> so what was it like walking into your house for the for the first time with him and getting through that first week I mean you know I see babies mm. in the NICU all the time and you know by the time I send them home I'm confident that they're gonna do well but I think there's a little bit of anxiety on the part of parents who have had this team around yeah. them and their baby <clears> for <throat> so long What's it actually like to to go home and be at your house for that first week all on your own? All on your own. It's terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And we lived in, you know, this two-bedroom apartment. We had the nursery all set up. um, And we had monitors. We we had oxygen. We had the pulse ox. We basically left the pulse ox on them all day long because in the NICU, you have numbers all day day long and you get so used to always knowing their heart rate and always knowing their oxygen and that you just you just know it because it's always there it's always on the screen they're always hooked up um and so for us to not know his heart rate or to not know his oxygen seemed like not an option so we left him hooked up uh all the time which meant not only were you carrying tiny five pound William, but you were carrying an oxygen tank and a pulse ox machine with you everywhere you went. So luckily our apartment was not super huge, so there wasn't far to go. Um, And we 
took the mattresses off of our sleeper sofa and put them on the floor of William's room and slept on the floor next to his crib with the monitor probably like eight inches from my face because, you know, the numbers change if they're closer to you. Um, And we slept there for probably two weeks with him because we just could, we were so paranoid that something would happen. And if we had to run from a different room, it would be too long. It would be too far. Or, you know, the machine, um, William still had some health issues and the machine was beeping all the time and you could mute it if you were right next to it. So, um, we didn't do much. Um, we would basically pack the stroller um, with the oxygen tanks and the pull socks, grab the dog and go for a walk around the pond, go back, watch TV, sleep in the bedroom on the floor and do it all again the next day. Um, but it was also, we had so many follow-ups um, that I think we only went one day, maybe 36 hours before we were in a doctor's office with William, someone looking at him. Um, so we didn't feel like, okay, we're completely on our own because someone's going to see him in 36 hours and they can tell us if he doesn't look good. Um, and did that feel and so, helpful or overwhelming or both? Um, it was kind of both. Um, I think the overwhelming part was that it was with um, the pediatrician who didn't, didn't know him, had never met him. And so it was our first time walking into a doctor's office and asking for his medical history. And Chris and I looking at each other like, where do you want us to start? And then saying, well, we have this binder that we got from the NICU. Can you just photocopy it? Because these three lines on this piece of paper for medical history is not going to cut it. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's that doesn't even cover his surgeries. Um, so I think it was nice for someone new to see him. And we kind of felt like we got to show him off. And, you know, it, it was fun to bring him somewhere new. But it was overwhelming in the sense like, oh, man, like we have to now tell people his history. Like right. we were not prepared for that, I don't think. Or like <laughs> the questions that came, we were like, oh, my, I, I don't know how to answer that. Like he was in the hospital for 148 days. So can you just look, can in you the just look at, the, <laughs> at the summary? Yeah. yeah. And and a lot of I mean, we had a lot of follow ups with a lot of different specialists and um. It was funny when we kind of started making the jokes at the front desk, like these three lines are not going to cut it. Can you just photocopy it? They'd be like, oh, well. And I'm like, and then you kind of whip out the binder and throw it on the table. And they're like, oh, OK, yes, <laughs> yeah. we can. We'll just copy it. You would spend hours writing up his medical history. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but it was it was nice to go home and know that you were going to go see someone in the next few days. Um just kind of put your mind at ease. Yeah, that we you weren't to, totally we just, on your own. It was own. like, you know, making those goals again. Like, I just want to make it to 28 weeks. We just have to make it 36 hours. <laughs> you know, we just have <laughs> and to then make somebody it else will Monday, look at him. And yeah. then we get like an hour of someone else's help because we probably needed it back then. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so now I want to ask a couple questions about like looking back on that, yeah. that journey to the NICU. Um, what was the... What were like your biggest fears and your biggest worry um, while you were in the NICU? And can you describe like your worst day? Ooh. Um, my 
biggest fears um, were never, well, hmm. my biggest fear was being the parent you watched leave empty hand. Because you can't not see it. Yep. You can't not see it when you're in the So our first room, and this gets like, I can tell a complete stranger this story and it makes me cry. (laughs) Um, But our first room um, was kind of like in the middle of the NICU. And when you sat in the chair, you looked straight out the door of the NICU room. You never really wanted the NICU door shut because people were coming in and out. And so you just kind of wanted it open to feel, I don't know, less closed off. So we always had our door open. Um, And so when you sat in the chair and you looked out the door, you saw the elevator where transports came in and they would go across the hall, which is straight where we were looking into um, kind of the the quad. So kind of the big room of the NICU. Um, And I didn't. I didn't know what the quad was at the time, but it felt like the room you never wanted to be in. Um, And so we would sit there and sometimes you would see these transports come in and they'd go straight across and everything seemed fine. And then there'd be days where you'd be sitting in the chair and it would be people, you know, running or looking um, concerned and always going to that room. And so my fear was always being in that room. Um, and we were in that room for a few times. Um, luckily, never for uh, anything super concerning. But it felt like our biggest fear was ever being in that room. Um, and we felt that way because um, there was a specific day where we saw a whole family come in together and go in that room. And my husband and I were looking at each other like, only two people... At the time, three could be in a room at the same time. So how is this whole family getting to go in there? Because they can only be two. And then, like at the time, we just didn't think anything of it. And then we started to realize, oh my gosh, they get to go say goodbye. And so the fear was so real to go into that room. Um, Because you see, you know, these moms coming out and... (laughs) Some of them still have a hospital gown on. Um, and you just you just know that they're going uh, home empty-handed. And that was really, really hard for um, us. And we, you know, sometimes we close the door, mostly privacy for them. Um, but because we kind of wanted to pretend it wasn't an option, like going home empty-handed was not an option. Um but it's so real in the NICU and you see things um, like that all the time. And um, that was like our biggest fear was that there's nothing stopping us from being them. Um, You know, they didn't do anything different than we did to be in that place. And we just felt so lucky to not ever be in that place. But it's something that you don't, forget for sure is seeing um those those parents that have to go through that and knowing that could have been us we who you know who knows if one thing had changed why we wouldn't have been in that big room with more than two people with us um so that was definitely yeah your a fear, fear throughout the whole thing and um when do you think that fear 
went away. Did it ever go away? Um, I don't think so. Um, and I say that because we had so many weird setbacks that felt like it could totally throw us in that room. Um, so Mother's Day, so William was three months old, um, and we were in the grad nursery. We thought we were going out. We thought we were going home in the next couple of weeks. Um, and turns out he got acquired CMV, um, and he was back on the oscillator, which we started on the oscillators. So we knew that we had gone all the way back to the beginning and it felt like we were starting over and it felt like that fear kind of comes back of, are we going to get through this one now? Um, and so I don't think the fear goes away and I think... I mean, William's two, and I still fear, like, every single thing that he gets. Um, so I don't know that the fear ever goes away, but not having to see that big room and parents having to go in and come out, um, I mean, that was really that was really hard to see, I think. And I, how do I say it? I'm glad I saw it because um, it made the NICU stay a little bit more real of not everyone here is going to be as lucky as we are and go home. So, and I think in our, in our NICU, we try really hard not to, um, uh, I don't have a great word for it. Right. But not, not parade those bad experiences around. Yeah. Try to protect parents so that they are just with Mm -hmm. themselves and their baby and their family. But it's impossible um, yep. to totally isolate parents. And so parents do end up seeing what's going on around the NICU and yeah. finding friends in the NICU or finding people that are going through something similar um, and building some relationships. Yeah. But but then you also know when things are going really well and mm-hmm. when things are going really badly. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just like to the point of finding people in the NICU, like the, the little lounge snack room, um, I mean... That's kind of where some of the parents hang out, some where some of the grandparents hang out, some of the family. And people are, you know, telling each other what's going on with their baby. And you hear some really terrible things. And, you know, comparison is the worst thing you can do, right? Like, preemie or not, like, if you have a full-term baby, you're comparing your full-term baby to another full-term baby. And mine walked this time and, you know, you're comparing everything forever, feels like. Um, But in the NICU, you're like you hear things and you're thinking of your baby and you're comparing it, you know, you're doing it from the very beginning, but you hear terrible things, but you hear really, really good things. And so the privacy of the NICU is great, but it's also really great to connect with other parents in the NICU about the good things or being like, Hey, we've been in here for a hundred plus days. Like, Oh, you've been in here 130 days. Like, holy crap, this is crazy, right? Yeah. You know, so it's like you want privacy, but at the same time you like all want to sit in a room together and be like, you yeah, know, have some connection. Have some connection and yeah. like some community because, I mean, there is no person that understands the NICU until you've been in the NICU. That is that is very true. 100%. <laughs> well, and- I thought I understood the NICU because my niece was in it, you know, s- seven years ago. But I had no, you know, because I had went and visited her. I was like, oh, I've seen the NICU. But I had not seen the NICU until you're a parent 
in the and, NICU. and you're right in the yeah. NICU. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I always think about comparison as the thief of joy. Um, yes. So if you're always comparing yourself to your story to somebody <clears> else's <throat> story, you're going to find places where your story's not as good or your journey's not as good or you're not as good or whatever. Um, but your journey is your journey. Your mm-hmm. baby's journey is your yeah. baby's journey. And uh, when you compare it to other other things it is the thief of joy yes it is and yeah and it's hard to not compare when you're when you're hearing all these things of all these other babies or like you know i probably wasn't supposed to do this but you walk by all these other rooms and you're peeking in the window and you're like oh my gosh that baby's huge you know and why is that baby here you don't know why the baby's there and they might have been there for a year and that's why they're so big um but yeah you kind of want to compare but at the same time you don't want to compare because there's a lot of awful things happening in those walls and you kind of want to just be in your bubble yourself yeah. and go to your room and shut the doors. Um, but yeah, that was the hardest part and probably the biggest fear of ours through the NICU was, yeah, I, th- was I think just that's... the fear of we could go home empty handed. It can change any moment. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always say I don't trust a baby until I put them in the car seat and send them home. And then, 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 and then still don't trust them. And then I still don't trust them. And now it's, now it's your job to trust them, right? Like, yeah, yeah no, I don't trust I don't. William ever. <laughs> he definitely can throw some curveballs. Yes. Maybe he should be a baseball player. Yes. So yes. if you could go, if you, you yourself right now, yes. yourself right now, <clears throat> could go back two years ago and tell yourself something, mm-hmm. what would you tell yourself? Um... I think we talked about this last night over dinner and both of us kind of came up with the same thing, same theme of it's going to be worse than you think because it is. You think you know the worst and then one day it's going to come and it's going to wipe out what you thought was the worst. And that's okay because there's going to be something great or you're going to get, you're going to keep going. Um, So just knowing like it's going to be the worst thing of your life. But it's also going to be the best. And at the end of it, you're going to be, A, a completely different person. You will never walk out of the NICU the same person you walked in. Um, And you're way stronger than you think in those worst moments. Um, Like, I mean, (laughs) when uh, the poor doctor had to tell us about the IVH grade three, we were like, you know, we thought we were out of the woods. We thought we were fine. We had two clear brain scans. We were we were golden. And then we got squashed with that news and we were like, oh my, like, where do we even go? What questions do we ask? What do we, what, like, what are we going to do? Basically, this is way worse than we thought. Um, and so I just feel like if, if I went back and told myself, it's going to be worse than you think, but you're going to be stronger than you think you ever could be. I think that would maybe help me. Cause I think at the time I was like, I don't know what to do. So I would just kind of shut down. Um, but just knowing that you don't have control over what's going to happen um, and it's going to change every day and some days are going to be hor- horrific. Um, you're going to get the worst news that you thought you never were going to have to hear. You're going to have to ask questions you never thought you'd have to ask. You're going to hear the answers you never thought you wanted to hear. Um, but at the end of it, you're a completely different person and way, way, way stronger than you thought you could be. And you thought you could be. Yeah. Do you think that having your first 148 days in the NICU um, changed the way 
that you parent or that you view parenting because I think we all get pregnant and we know Mm -hmm. oh I want to be that serene calm mom who never (laughs) yells at her kids um or I really view parenting as um hey I want my kids on this very strict schedule and I'm going to be we're going to live by this schedule I think when you get pregnant you kind of think about what kind Mm -hmm. of parent you're going to be so do you think that your time in the NICU changed what what your goals for parenting were or do you think you're still about the same just you know a little more cautious yeah (laughs) um that's tough I think it has changed our parenting a little bit um I don't think that it's drastically made us do anything different um I think I feel like some parents come out of the NICU and are super strict because the NICU is super strict right like Every three hours is cares. You change the diaper. You feed them. You do this. Um, and everything is very, like, scheduled. Yeah. Um, and our life has never been and probably realistically will never be scheduled. Um, we're kind of just spontaneous. Um, and so I think leaving the NICU, we were like, we're just, we're just going to go with the flow because William is clearly on his own path and he clearly makes the rules. So, like, let's just try to keep this tiny human alive. And if he doesn't want to eat at 2 p.m. or 5 p.m., then he can eat at 3 p.m. and 6 p.m. You know, we tried to not go off the schedule. We kind of just broke it when we left the NICU. Um, And I kind of feel like we maybe would have been those parents without the NICU. I don't know, um, since he's our first. Um, But I think it's changed our parenting in um, the fact of comparison. I think had I had a a healthy pregnancy, a healthy um, child, that I would completely be in the comparison game. I think I would would put up a one-month picture and I would say that he started doing all these things, right? Because everyone posts a one-month picture and a two-month picture and it's always what they've started doing. It's never like, oh, we're having so much fun and we're just snuggling. It's always like, he started this, this, and this, and they get to six months, and he started crawling, and he's eating solids, and it's it's playing into the comparison game a little bit. And I yeah, think marching I would through the milestones. Yeah, you you say the milestones that they've reached, and I think I totally would have done that because it's normal. I think that's the normal thing to do is to be excited they're hitting these milestones. And I think with William, I was like, screw milestones because. If he hits him, that's awesome because we don't know if he'll ever even hit some milestones. So I think my perspective of parenting in that way changed a little bit yeah. because I was thinking if he hits this milestone when he's 10, that's awesome because he hit this milestone. I wasn't like, okay, I need to I need to focus on these milestones of a normal child. Um, and so I think that's probably the area of our parenting that changed the most having the NICU with us is that we we didn't focus on milestones um as heavily as we probably would have fallen into had we had a healthy normal pregnancy of because you don't know anything different right now it's it's not bad it's not against any normal parenting it's just you don't know anything different and so you're really excited about those milestones and i get it because i'm totally excited about milestones like we celebrate everything in our house like everything is a milestone and when it's hit we celebrate right (laughs) so um, and I get it totally, but I think that's probably the only thing different is that I'm more aware of 
comparison. And sometimes it gets the best of me, 100%. And I'm in the compare game and like crying in the car by myself because someone else's child's walking and mine's not and totally falling into that. But I think that I, with the NICU, can kind of like talk myself down. Like, it's fine. Like, you survived. He was one pound, two ounces. Like, who cares if he's not walking at age one? Right. Who cares if he's not walking at age two? Um, but I think that I just, I have a different perspective, I think, on parenting and being a little bit more, he's going to choose his own path and this is what it is and we're just along for his ride, really. Well, and I think so. ultimately parents get to that place. Um, yeah. I, I really strongly believe that kids are born with the personality that they have and yeah, doesn't matter what I want for my kids. Yeah. They're, they're going to decide what they want, you know one super artsy kid and one super stubborn kid and yeah they are who they are they are who they are (laughs) and they've and they have been that way since the minute that they were born and William is the same and yeah and truly comparison is the thief of joy and if you can just follow your kid's lead whether you're in the NICU or you're parenting a 10 year old or whatever follow your kid's lead they're going to tell you what they want what they need and who they are and it's our job not to compare them to other people mm-hmm. and not to try to get them to be Every something we different. want them to yeah. be. It's really to just encourage them to be who they yeah. are. And I think within, you know, there's this preemie mom community that is fantastic. And um, comparison even within preemies. Like, I have a 25-weeker. You have a 25-weeker. They can be so different. They are so, 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 so different. And just encouraging the other mom of a 25-weeker that, you know, maybe is at different milestones than you, just encouraging them, like, they're going to do what they're going to do when they want. Um, And just supporting, you know, other moms because it's so easy for them to get wrapped into it, even within the preemie community of my 25-weeker versus your 25-weeker. And I think... The preemie mom community does a great job of that. Like even some of the moms I connect with, um, you know, it's like it's just it's endless support of like we're just glad we're here. So let's just support them and what they're going to do and advocate for them and give them the resources they need. But they're on their own. They're on their own journey. And yeah, we're just, their own path. Yeah. We're just we're just long for the ride for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think when you have a baby in the NICU, Everybody wants to be supportive and um, know what's going on and ask you questions and give you support and uh, tell you how to cope with the turbulence of the NICU and that two steps forward, one step back. Mm -hmm. Um, So 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 I'm just curious from Mm -hmm. a mom's perspective. I mean, I hear questions in the NICU all the time where I just kind of drop my head and think cringe. Oh, you shouldn't ask that, right? <laughs> um, but from a mom perspective, yes. what are some of the worst pieces of advice and worst Ooh. questions that um, pe- what genuinely well-intentioned people who are trying to support you through this kind of scary chaos of the NICU, yes. uh, what things should people avoid saying uh, if hopefully they're listening to this podcast yes. and can hear it? <laughs> um, so there were like, two or three things that I got asked all the time. And every time it was like a big eye roll. And I always kind of wanted to like give them a lecture and, you know, tell them off. But I didn't. But 
if you are listening and you know someone with a preemie, do not ask them what's wrong with their child ever. Okay. That is probably the number one worst thing I've ever been asked is, well, what's wrong with him? Um, nothing. So that's one that I fear being asked anywhere I go. And to this day, I still fear being asked because there's nothing wrong. They were just born different. Right. Um, and when are you going home? That was uh, probably yeah. the second to worst question because as if you were listening, I was supposed to go home three times. So we don't know when we're going home. Um, so those are like the top two questions that always used to get me. It's funny that you say asking a parent, when are you, when are you going to go home is one of the worst questions because that's the worst question you for me ask. as a doctor <laughs> is the parents are always like, well, when, can you like, do you have a, a, like a time frame? I mean, I know you can't give me a specific day, but like, like a, one week weeks. or three yeah. weeks. And I'm like, yeah, one sure. week, three weeks, <laughs> uh, three months. Like yeah. I have no idea because every baby's every, different. Everything and can change. They do what they're going to do. And, and we are along for the ride. We follow them. We yeah. take our cues from them. So I, I have no idea when your baby's going to go home. Yeah. And therefore you have no idea yeah. when your baby's going to so go home either. Ask, yeah. Um, that Those ones, you know, and, you know. They're just questions. But um, the other thing that uh, would always get me is when people would say, well, there's light at the end of the tunnel. And it's like, really? Do you know there's light at the end of the tunnel? How can we say that when we have no idea if we're going to make it through today? Like, right. supportive thing, you know, and I get it because people don't know what to say to preemie moms. They have no idea how to comfort them. And I completely get that. I think it's really hard to know what to say to them because – there is nothing you can say to them, really. Um, and so to say that there's light at the end of the tunnel, I'm like, you don't know that. Like, we can't say that. Or, oh, he'll be fine. Everything will be fine. Or, you know, just saying optimistic things in, like, The middle of good, where it's not yeah, optimistic. And, and yeah. I get it because you're trying to be optimistic and you're trying to be supportive. But in the moment, you're like, it's not fine. It's not fine at all. We can't say it's going to be fine or we can't say there's light at the end of the tunnel. Um, so what would be helpful for people who are listening, who are trying to support a preemie mom that's in the NICU right now, instead yeah. of saying, hey, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Oh, he's a fighter. I know he's going to be fine. Yep. When, no, we don't know those things. What actually would be supportive yeah. to those moms? Just showing up and sitting down with them or? So, yeah, I mean, and I think a lot of the things that I got when I was in the NICU were um, you know, getting connected with other NICU moms. If you talk to anyone and you talk to them long enough, they know someone that knows someone that has a preemie and they can connect you with a preemie mom. And that's huge. I mean, I remember getting connected with Corey, um, who had a 24-weeker at Rocky Mountain six months before we were there. And her and I talk all the time. And we talked for months before even meeting each other. And it was like, if you just want to talk, if you just want to call me and cry and yell about how unfair it is, call and cry and yell at how unfair it is. You know, just having that person that gets it um, and not trying to ask questions, not trying to say it's going to be fine. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Not going to tell you that, um, but it's going to just listen. And I think that's huge, too, with you don't have to be a preemie mom to say, hey, let me know if you want to talk or let me know if you want to go get coffee and not talk about the baby at all. Yeah. Um, you know, that was huge for Chris and I a few times, like friends would come and we'd go down the street to the little brewery and we'd have lunch 
And we wouldn't talk about William at all. And it was kind of like that little hour escape where you didn't feel like I have to just talk about all the bad things that have happened this week. And I can kind of go and just escape from it for an hour. And so if, you know, if you know someone in the NICU and you're close enough to say, hey, let's go grab coffee. And we don't even have to talk about the NICU if you don't want. We can talk about a book. A book. We can talk about what's on TV. We can talk about a new TV show. We can talk about a movie. Um, and so just having that separation um, and not feeling like, oh, well, I want to call them, but then I can only talk about the NICU and their baby. Um, and just giving them support without trying to tell them everything will be fine. And just, um, you know, maybe saying like you just said, he's a fighter, leave off the he'll be fine and just say he's a fighter because they totally are. Um, and so just being supportive, I think is huge and connecting other moms that have been there is for me, probably the best thing that happened just because you truly don't know the NICU until you've been there. And so when you can call someone up and be like, holy crap, this just happened. We just had an IVH grade three and I don't know where to go because if I go to Google. Oh, don't go to Google. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we went to Google and it brought us down for a really, really long time. Um, whereas I can go to Corey, whose son had a grade three, grade four bilateral, and I can talk to her about it and feelings and, you know, her son is now two and a half and we can talk about how he's doing and we can have that connection and, you know, talk about it in a more supportive way with someone who's been there. Um, so I think that was, that's a huge thing I think for a preemie mom is, is giving them support from yourself and then giving them the support of others that have been there. Yeah, no, I think that's great advice. There's quite a few organizations, um, some of which I'm planning on interviewing later on this podcast to kind of um, let people know about what services are out there that can connect preemie moms um, or term moms or babies who have other um, either congenital defects or significant... difficulty when they're first born even if they're not premature right, just babies the, just the NICU like yeah take out the preemie mom part yeah, just, just a NICU mom a, a NICU mom is yeah is tough and I think a lot of us you know we've been out for two years and we still feel like it's such a huge part of our lives and we've been out for two years I don't right. think it just when you leave on discharge day you're not leaving the NICU um it definitely stays kind of a part of you and your family and your spouse and your your whole family uh, tie. I think the NICU stays in it for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true, especially for people that are there for a really long time. Yeah. You know, the, the kind of six to eight weeks and longer families. Um, yeah. Certainly the nurses remember everybody and well, the doctors yeah. know who those patients were. So, yeah. I mean, it's crazy. We, <laughs> you know, we don't have family in Colorado. And so the NICU was basically our family for that time. You know, we had our parents come in for, my mom stayed for six weeks when that was amazing. Um, but then she went back home. And so you're like, okay. And you kind of like bond with the, the medical staff at the NICU and they really do become like family. I mean, I still talk to you, <laughs> obviously. Um, but I still talk to our primary nurses all the time. Um, they came to his first birthday party. Like it's just, they don't, they don't leave either. Um, yeah. They're kind of long-term friendships for sure. Absolutely. Anything else you want to say? I don't think so. No. 
Well, thank you very much for agreeing to be my first interview and my <laughs> guinea pig. <laughs> and course hanging out with me for this last hour and answering my questions. Yeah, thanks for having me. Sorry for the tears. No, nope, it's all good. I mean, that's the NICU. There's, it's surreal. Yes. There's tears and joy, the and they're all mixed into the same day. So, yes. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. You keep saying it, Walt. No, podcast.